Great. Well, uh, we're already um, hurtling, aren't we, into 2024, and I think the, uh, the time uh, has definitely now passed for saying Happy New Year, so I'm not going to say that. We're, we're gone now. We're in 2024. Uh, but since the new year does often bring us a chance for a time of reflection, I wonder if you were to conduct some kind of spiritual health check um, here at the beginning of 2024, um, how would you fare, do you think? Uh, I've got a handy um, faithometer here uh, to help us with this. Uh, so perhaps we can see where the needle on our own personal faithometer uh, might point to. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm red hot, uh, revving red hot in the strength of my faith. By the way, um, red is good in this uh, diagram. Doesn't mean your car's about to blow up or anything like that. Red is good, it's warm, warm faith. Um, as 2024 hits, you might be thinking, uh, mission to the deepest, darkest corner of the earth to reach a hostile people for Jesus. Sign me up now. Can't see anyone putting their hands up yet. Um, maybe at the end of the sermon. Uh, or, or maybe orange or yellow. Perhaps you're more in the middle. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I love that prayer as someone approaches Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, or green. You might be uh, you're following Jesus, yeah, you are his disciple, but you're, uh, you're full of doubt, a doubting disciple. I'm sure that will be uh, some of us here this morning as well. Or perhaps uh, over on the furthest side on dark green, you might be um, in unbelief. Uh, you might not be sure who Jesus is or whether you can even trust him. And can I say, if that is you here this morning, then we're really glad that you are here with us. Um, please do keep listening along um, as we go. Uh, and as we've talked about our Hope Explored course, that could be ideal for you as well next Sunday. But if you do believe, and you're a little bit further down this way on this faithometer, uh, what would it take to warm you up? What would it take to get you to, to that side? Well, Jesus, he is in the business of growing our faith. Uh, and we're going to see him um, doing that uh, this morning with his disciples. Uh, but he doesn't do that, thankfully, by acting like some kind of gym instructor uh, shouting at them uh, or some kind of life coach telling them they just need to believe in themselves. No, Jesus lovingly and compassionately reveals more of himself uh, to them uh, through these two uh, amazing miracles in our passage today. And the question uh, for us this morning as we meet Jesus in his word, is will we allow him to grow our faith too? Will we allow Jesus to grow our faith this morning as he reveals himself to us uh, in his words? Paul's already mentioned last week, do you remember those in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth? And then we had Herod as well. Well, they approached Jesus with flat unbelief. They were way over here on the scale. And, and then they received no more revelation of Jesus, no more signs from him. But Jesus here this week, he's showing his uh, believing disciples even more of himself. This is that principle um, in chapter 13 being worked out in these next chapters. Do you remember Jesus said this? He said, whoever has will be given more and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. 
And so from here on in, in, in Matthew's gospel, you see this increasing divide uh, between those who meet Jesus with faith, those who have, and so they then see more of him and their faith grows. But then there's this other group who uh, meet Jesus with real resistance and unbelief. And so they don't receive any more signs or revelation from Jesus. Even what they have is taken away from them. But we've, we've already prayed, haven't we, we, as we sung that song, it is well written, Paul was right, um, caused our faith to rise, um, our eyes to see. So let's trust God to, to do that for us this morning. So scene one in our passage, Jesus shows God-like compassion and abundant provision. Jesus shows God-like compassion and abundant provision. Now I suspect that most of us uh, want some alone time uh, sometimes, don't we? Actually, some of you extroverts are probably thinking, no, I don't want, I don't want any alone time. Um, but here at the start of our passage, that is what Jesus is seeking, a time alone. But no sooner does he try and get that and get to a solitary place than he's swamped again by the crowds. There's no time for him to rest. And so, of course, a tired and grumpy Jesus tells them to go away. I just need some me time. No, he doesn't say that, does he? That's why you need your Bibles. You need to be checking uh, what Jesus actually said. Uh, no, Jesus says oh, he's full of compassion, isn't he? Verse 14. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. See, Jesus, he expends his remaining energy healing the crowd. Even in the most testing of times, Jesus' compassion does not fail. He's the self giving servant. And yet, uh, on, on this day, these uh, healings, they're just the beginning. But actually, you see the disciples hoping that that's going to be it for the day. Uh, and they want to send the crowd away. In quite a bold move, really, they actually tell Jesus what to do. At verse 15, have a glance down there. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, I wonder where we think the needle on the disciples' faithometer is at this point. Uh, anyone think they're, they're up for the red? They, they're revving red hot in their faith? No hands there. How about a little bit further down, somewhere in the middle? Or even the, the, the doubting disciple? Who thinks they might be doubting disciples? Yeah, a few hands there. I think you're right. I think it's fairly low, isn't it? Uh, they've seen a lot of Jesus already. They've been with him for quite some time. I think by this point, they should at least have an inkling that Jesus might be able to offer some help in this situation. They've also just seen him spend the whole afternoon um, healing the crowd. So Jesus, he, he trying to coaxes it out of them, doesn't he? He's like he's training them. He's helping their, their faith to grow. And so he says, no, they don't need to be sent away. You feed them. You do it. I don't know whether you've ever been in a situation like that where you kind of have a bright idea maybe at work with your boss and they turn around and say, yeah, great. Go and get on with it. You do it. And you think, oh, and you realize in that moment that you've, you lack any resources personally to actually go and get it done at all. Maybe you start panicking. 
Well, the disciples here, they're, they're dumbfounded. We, we've got nothing here except these five loaves and two fish. But they've not quite understood who Jesus is, have they? And so Jesus steps in and takes control of the situation. Verse 19. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. And the result? They all ate and were satisfied. And at this point, I think we need to be a bit careful, don't we, that we haven't become too over-familiar with this kind of true story, that we don't miss the opportunity for our faith to grow as well. I think when you're reading the Bible, it's quite easy just to skip over some of these accounts, isn't it? Da 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 da. Uh, Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Oh, that's nice, Jesus. Let's go on to the next bit. But, but wait a minute, what? This is 5,000 people. 5,000 men, hungry men, at the end of a long day. Plus women and children, perhaps uh, more like 7,000 or so people. And it's not as if Jesus has just provided a, a bread roll on the side like you get in a kind of posh restaurant. No, this is their main meal. And they all eat. And they're all satisfied by it. In this culture uh, where bread was their staple diet, well, bread meant life. Jesus has just provided for them life in abundance, miraculously. I wonder, does this start to do anything to our faith? What does it do to our worries? If Jesus provides so abundantly like this, why am I sitting here worrying about my pension? But there's even more to it than this, I think, because uh, for the Jewish people at the time, steeped in their Old Testament, as they see Jesus providing bread miraculously like this, uh, where do you think their minds would go? What are the echoes of the way God has worked in the past? Anyone think? I can hear a few whispers. Manor, manor in the wilderness. Yeah, Exodus. Uh, the, the great esky, rescue that God uh, did for his people. Exodus 16, same kind of place uh, in the wilderness, a remote place, same miraculous provision of bread, and same kind of result. They, they all eat and are satisfied. That's really stressed in um, Exodus 16. Except with Jesus here, there's even leftovers. It's even more abundant, it seems. Jesus is, is showing us and them who he is. Uh, he's the sovereign Lord of creation, as, as Gordon was praying. And he's bringing a, a rescue as big, no, even bigger, I think, uh, than, the re than the Exodus rescue in the Old Testament. And that Exodus rescue for, for Israel, that was the defining moment in their history. That was the thing that they look back to. There's so many of the Psalms uh, that, that look back to God's great rescue, the Exodus. And here is Jesus presenting himself as none other than Yahweh, God himself, uh, bringing a, a new rescue, a, a new exodus. I wonder what this did to the needle on the disciples' faithometer. Well, Matthew doesn't tell us yet, uh, so let's go on to the next scene. 
Jesus brings a godlike rescue, declaring himself to be I am. And again, the scene begins in the same way with Jesus trying to find some alone time. And this time, uh, Matthew tells us specifically why that is. He's been trying to pray. He's been trying to get time to pray with his heavenly father. And so finally, he gets this time alone to commune with God. I don't think this is the main point of it, but it's worth at least noting here that if Jesus knew that he needed time alone to pray with God, uh, then we, his disciples, certainly do. I wonder how often do you get time alone with God to pray, to really pray. Well, Jesus has been enjoying his prayer time on the mountain for so long that by the time he goes down the mountain to rejoin the disciples, their boat is already uh, in the middle of the sea, and they're in trouble. Uh, The wind and the waves are are buffeting the boat. They're against them. Now, I watched a James Bond film recently, and if, if this was a James Bond film, Jesus would just come down and steal the nearest speedboat and roar out to the middle of the lake uh, to, to meet them, wouldn't he? But actually, Jesus chooses a different mode of transport. Jesus walks on water. Don't skip over this. Jesus walks on water. And he's not just doing this because this is the most direct route to get to them, but he's lovingly and compassionately revealing more of himself to these still doubting disciples. Mastery over the sea, that's a, that's a God thing to do. No human can do that. And again, these disciples, they know from the Exodus, don't they, all about uh, the parting of the Red Sea that God performed from them. Only the God who created the universe can control the wind and the waves. Some other Old Testament uh, passages that they would have been um, aware of and, and know of. Isaiah, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. Again, that's looking back to the Exodus. Job 9 verse 8. He alone, God alone, stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. But still the disciples doubt. They reason, don't they? They think he must be a ghost because no one but God can can walk on the water like this. And so they cry out to Jesus in fear. But Jesus immediately seeks to reassure them, doesn't he? Verse 27, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. And more literally, Jesus says, take courage, I am. He's using God's name that God revealed to his people back in the Exodus, in Exodus 3 to Moses. See, he's not just acting like God, he's telling them he is God, the great I am. And perhaps it's this um, that elicits more of a a faith-filled response from Peter. He wants confirmation though, doesn't he? I love Peter, I can't wait to meet him in heaven. He's so impulsive. And he says, Jesus, well, if this is really you, well, then you'll have the power to make me walk on the water too. And Jesus agrees and says, yeah, come. And it looks as if Peter's doing it. He's, he's walking along to Jesus, perhaps looking straight ahead expectantly at Jesus, making progress, but then his gaze shifts down. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, 
he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter starts out well, doesn't he? Focusing on Jesus, but then he, he looks away, he doubts. He starts sinking. He does have faith, a little faith, but he's unable to exercise it in the face of something so scary, something so out of his control. I'm sure many of us have had that same experience, haven't we? Where things become so chaotic, so beyond your control, that it's easy to let your focus on Jesus shift and just feel like we're sinking. And yet, however little faith Peter had, his cry is still a cry of faith. Lord, save me. How much faith does it take to be saved? Hardly any. Hardly any. Thankfully, Jesus isn't there watching Peter's faithometer to, to reach the right point before he steps in to save him. No, the smallest flicker, and Jesus is straight in, isn't he? Verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? It's hard to conf be confident about Jesus' tone of voice, isn't it? We can't really hear it, but surely this is a loving rebuke. Because the whole po point of Jesus' miracles has been to reveal himself in a greater way to help the disciples' faith in him grow in line with just how big Jesus is. I like to imagine Jesus saying this a bit more like uh, the parent helping their child to learn to swim. Uh, if you've ever done it, you're kind of you know, holding your hand ready underneath them uh, as they kind of swim towards you, perhaps confidently at first, but then they start panicking, at least ours do, and uh, spluttering and sinking, and you immediately um, grab them up. And maybe you say something like this, why, why did you panic? I'm here. I've got you. Jesus is telling Peter that he needn't doubt. Not even in the midst of a storm. Not even when he's attempting the impossible feat of walking on water. Why? Well, not because there's anything special about Peter, but because Jesus is the great I am. He's the one with complete mastery over the sea. He alone can rescue us, save us from the depths of our sin and God's judgment of us. Jesus is teaching them faith in him, not faith in themselves. That's quite different from our culture, isn't it, where children are, are told to follow their dreams. They can, they can be whoever they want. I was thinking about this. It reminded me of a time when I was working as a social worker with an especially troubled young person. He'd been in and out of prison, a really tough family situation as well. Um, and I was there with him in a meeting with a social work colleague. Uh, he's a great social worker. But he said to him, he said to this lad, for about 15, 16, you just need to have faith in yourself. Now, he meant well, but as a Christian, I nearly choked at this point. Because it's just so empty, isn't it? Where is faith in ourselves going to get us? Nowhere. Especially not when it comes to our relationship with God and, and where we'll spend eternity. 
Perhaps you are here today and you've not yet called out to Jesus like this. You're away on that side of the faithometer. Perhaps you've been trying to, to have faith in yourself. But Jesus wants you to place all of your trust in him. Peter, even, even with the smallest of faith, he cried out, Lord, save me. If you pray that, Jesus is ready and willing immediately. The faintest call, the most flickering flame of faith. And Jesus will immediately respond, holding on to you, lifting you out, never to let you go. Well, finally, these doubting disciples do seem to start getting it. The needle on their faithometer is creeping up as they, they realize who Jesus is. The final point, the final thing to remember this morning is this. Uh, Jesus is the Son of God. Worship him. Jesus is the Son of God. Worship him. See, as well as Peter, in these next few verses, 33 to 34, uh, the rest of the disciples now get their own experience, their personal experience of Jesus saving them, because as soon as Jesus and Peter come into the boat, the waves cease. I don't think that's a coincidence. It's Jesus again showing his complete mastery over creation, his total ability to save. And finally, the disciples' faith seems to take a leap forward. Because how do they respond to this? As the wind and the waves cease, verse 33, they worship. They worship Jesus because it's starting to dawn on them who Jesus is or how big Jesus is. They say, truly, you are the Son of God. Remember, the disciples, they've been in this situation before, haven't they? Back in chapter 8 in Matthew, in another boat, in another storm. And as Jesus calmed that storm uh, just, with, just with speaking, well, they respond then with a question. They say, well, what sort of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? But here, they respond with a faith-filled statement. Truly, you are the son of God. Slowly but surely, they are getting it. Jesus is fanning their flickering faith into flame. So how is your faith in 2024? Where is the needle on your faithometer? Is your faith in Jesus, the son of God, leading you to worship? Not just here on Sunday morning, although that's brilliant to do, but in all of life, worshipping him in the everyday. A worship is the only reasonable response to Jesus' revelation. He is the great I am. The son of God, the only one who can rescue us and hold on to us. Or is doubt uh, at the moment your main experience? Well, if that is you, then Jesus says to you this morning, take courage, I am. Fix your eyes on me. Remember, even Peter's faith, it was, it was enough, wasn't it? 
Jesus stepped straight in to rescue him. But Jesus does want to grow our faith too. Not by worrying about the strength of it. Perhaps that faithometer in that sense is unhelpful to look at. But we'll only grow our faith by looking to Jesus. By letting him uh, reveal more of himself to us. By prayerfully immersing ourselves in the scriptures. Uh, Doubts can be a horrible thing to go through, can't they? I've been through periods of that in myself. And sometimes it takes a while to, to come out of them. But the only way out of doubt is to keep arming ourselves with the word of God. Can I say, if you're a Christian here today and you've yet to establish a regular pattern of uh, Bible reading and prayer, can I encourage you to do that today as a matter of urgency? Uh, Please don't hear me wrongly. There's no rules to this. Bible reading for a certain amount of time a day, it doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But actually, I don't think we can expect our faith to grow if we're not doing those basics. Why not begin uh, this week in Matthew? Just, just read the passage ahead of Sunday a few times. And actually, that will really help you on a Sunday morning as well. Or if you need some help doing that, there's a growing number of people in the church family who are meeting up one-to-one with each other to, to read the Bible and pray together and encourage each other. Please tell me or Paul or any of the other staff if you'd like to do that. We can um, link people together. It's only as we allow Jesus to, to show us himself in his word that our faith uh, will grow. I slightly laughed, didn't I, at the beginning um, about going to the remotest place uh, in the world, but actually I shouldn't have. Because if Jesus is this big, the great I am, then it makes sense that our faith should rise to, to red hot. So why not world missions? Where will your worship of God lead you? Could God be calling any of us here today to to some people somewhere who are yet to hear of this kind and compassionate yet breathtakingly powerful rescuer? Because everyone needs to. But for many of us, expressing that red-hot faith may not lead us anywhere. The great thing is we can live it out here in our homes, in our families, in our friends. We can live it out as we battle with sin in our own lives, as we pursue holiness, or as we um, serve our church family. I know there's people here this morning for whom just turning up has been a monumental effort to get here. And they're not just here for themselves, but they're here for all of you, to encourage you too. That is red hot faith in action, turning up to church. What will your growing faith lead you to do for the Lord Jesus in 2024 and beyond? Well, if you want just to finish this is the last minute, with an inspiring example of faith. Well, then the passage ends, doesn't it, with the people of Gennesaret. They haven't had that experience with Jesus in the boat. I'm not sure that they would have seen him out there walking on water. 
But no sooner as they landed ashore than the men urgently spread the word around the surrounding regions and they desperately bring their sick to Jesus, knowing, get this, knowing that even just touching his cloak will make them well. That's big faith, isn't it? That's red-hot faith. That would probably blow up my faithometer. Well, let's pray that God will grow our faith too as we see how huge and compassionate is our rescuer, Jesus. Let's pray, pray together before we sing. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Father, we thank you for the blessing of seeing and hearing the Lord Jesus as he walks off the pages of your word. Thank you that you speak to us today by your spirit in your word. Thank you that you love to reveal yourself to us in your word. Father, please grow our faith. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Father, please free us from doubt. Lord, grow our faith in line with just how big your son Jesus is. The only one who can save us. In Jesus' name, amen.